Okay, good morning. So let me check you guys out. So you're the morning crowd, huh? You're the first service crowd. I want I want to tell you this in Haiti, which where we where I go two or three times a year. Actually, Eric is there now. Um, he is in Haiti right now, ministering down there. Eric, who was up here last week, the first service there is at seven a.m. And they're being nice because in Haiti, in Port-au-Prince, actually, uh, Eve can confirm this, uh, uh, that some of the services are at 6 a.m. Is that correct, Eve? 6 a.m. Okay, so we're being nice. It's 9.30 is our first. Uh, of course, down in Haiti, they think we're all lightweights up here in the States. But uh, welcome. So uh, just want to let you know about a couple things. I think Matt already mentioned the evangelism training. We are starting up our summer session this Saturday night. I will be teaching that, although I do have some help. And uh, it is really, I really feel like the, the Lord has spoken to me that he, he, a few years ago that he really wants to raise us up as a church who is well-equipped in sharing our faith. Every single one of you in this room right now should be able to present the good news of Jesus Christ, what it takes for a man or woman who is separated from God to enter into an everlasting relationship with God. And so we have a six-week program that we go through on Saturday nights. It's six weeks, and uh, it's intensive. It's not easy. It, um, it, uh, it's an exciting program. We've put so much prayer and thought in it over the years. Uh, and that starts this Saturday night. It's from 6 to 9, 6 to 9.30. So it's, it's, it's basically our Saturday nights for six weeks. I, you know, I don't know about you, but just uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, I would say, thrown into a situation where I had to share my faith with some neighbors of mine. And, uh, and I tell you, even after walking with God for 30 years, it is still the scariest thing in the world. And so I always fall back on this same tool, which I actually learned 30 years ago, this tool that we're doing on, on Saturday nights. So uh, consider that. We have another six-week session in the fall. And the other issue is that we will be having a midweek study, a midweek or Friday night study during the summer. We're in summer, so where is it? Well, we're still talking to a church nearby and and working out details. There's a good chance that it's not going to be on a Friday night. It'll be on a a Thursday night, but uh, more details on that to come. Okay, we're in the book of John. So if you could rise for the reading of God's word, John chapter 8, John chapter 8. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. John 
John chapter 8. One of the things that I noticed uh, teaching in Haiti at the 7 a.m. service, oh my, it's painful even thinking about that, but yes, I do that, is that uh, things are more subdued and, and the congregation is less engaged and praying for a work of God in our church that uh, we can be engaged and fully in what God is, is speaking to us in the Word of God. And so John chapter 8, one of the best known set of verses in the New Testament. In fact, most people who aren't even Christians um, have heard of this story, and there's a reason for it. It's really powerful. It really, really speaks to us, and it's revolutionary which is Jesus is all about that, right? He's, he's, he was a revolutionary and he wants to perform that revolution in our heart once, first time when we first come to him, but then over and over and over again because we need it. We need that revolution to be happening on a regular basis. John chapter 8 verse, actually I'm going to begin in verse 2. It says, now early in the morning, he, Jesus, came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, meaning in the middle, so this woman, she's been caught having a sex, having sex uh, with a man outside of marriage. It says they put her in the midst, right, right before Jesus, verse four, and they said to him, "Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act." Now Moses, in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Moses commanded that we stone her. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of uh, which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let's pray.
Father, we need to hear this. We need to hear this word this morning. We need to put ourselves in the shoes of this woman. We need to put ourselves in the shoes of the people dragging this woman to you. The people who did that. We need to put ourselves in the shoes of just an onlooker. We need this, Lord. We need you. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would do that powerful work through your word, by your spirit, in our lives this morning. And Lord, I just pray for the word of God as it goes out throughout the city. Lord, that you would have your way through it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So in the Old Testament, the prophets make it very clear that when the Son of God comes, when Messiah comes, when God the Savior makes his visitation upon the earth, that he will make it really clear who he is by an outpouring of the supernatural. So in Matthew chapter 11, verse 5, it says this, it says, when the Messiah comes, you will know it's him. By this, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the lepers will be cleansed, the deaf will hear, the dead raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, when you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the first three books of the New Testament, you get a great sense of that outpouring of the supernatural. For example, in the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 40, it says that all those who had Any that were sick brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. You have a great sense of just how many there were, just hundreds and hundreds of these supernatural healings confirming what was said by the prophets in the Old Testament of what would happen when the Messiah, when the Son of God, when the the Savior of the world came. Now, in John, John is different. If you read John, and and we've been talking about this um, from the beginning of the book of John, it reads very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John chooses just seven miracles. He chooses just seven signs. That's it. By chapter 8, five of these have already happened. The first one was what, by the way? Turning the water into wine. Very good. But 
by the time we arrive here in chapter 8, five of them have already happened. And as a result, the religious leaders are now actively trying to kill this man because of these signs. Why? Why is that? That just sounds crazy. Why is that? Well, we, we read about um, the third sign in, in John chapter 5, the healing of the man who could not walk for 38 years. He had been lame for 38 years. It says Jesus approached this man by a pool in Bethesda and and uh, he wanted to try to get to the pool to be healed, but he couldn't because he was lame and others got to the pool quicker. And it says that Jesus said to him, this man had been lame 38 years, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. And then it says that the man departed and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. So there's the answer. They were trying to kill him because he had done one of the signs, the miracles on the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath, the commandment that uh, the people of God rest on the seventh day of the week had been given to Israel after they had escaped, not escaped, but they had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. It is believed that when they were slaves, they had been working seven days a week without holidays. None of that long July 4th weekend stuff. That the Sabbath was given to them as a gift. In fact, at one point, Jesus uh, confronts the religious leaders for them coming against him about what he was doing on the Sabbath. And he said, what are you guys doing? The Sabbath was made for man, as a gift for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, what had been happening is that they had been using this law, the Sabbath, to to control people, to beat people over the head. And so if there's violations um, of 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 the Sabbath, uh, it was a religious leader's way of confronting with this law to to get control and fear in their lives so the religious leaders would be obeyed and followed rather than the Jesus model, which is leaders are supposed to serve. They're supposed to wash the feet of the sheep. And that way the sheep will follow But the whole thing had been turned on its head, and now the Sabbath was being made to actually control and use the law, using the law 
We'll see more of that as we get into the story today. Man using the law just for his own goals, for his own benefit. So, um, again, we're told in, in, in chapter 5, uh, v- verses 16, they sought to kill him. We see it again in John chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus did not stay in the country of Judea. Now, think Judea, think Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in the middle of Judea. He didn't stay in the country of Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him After this, he went from place to place in the country of Galilee. That's in the northern part of Israel. So um, uh, uh, we see that again in verse 1. But then in John chapter 7, if you want to go here with me, verse 31, we see the first actual attempt at killing Jesus. See, he was killed on a cross, but they actually tried to do it before that. But they couldn't because his hour had not yet come. Verse 31 says, And many of the people believed in Jesus and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? And then it says in verse 32, The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. So what happened with that? So they, they I know this sounds really strange, but they had church police. And uh, they, they basically sent, you go get this guy. He's getting too popular, uh, and he's violating the Sabbath. Bring him back to us. What happened? We read about it a couple weeks ago. Verse 45 says, the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? Why didn't you arrest Jesus? In verse 46, they answered and said, no man ever spoke like this man. Now, how did he speak? What was it that he spoke that had such an effect on these church police, these temple officers? Verse 37, middle of the verse Jesus stood up at the end of the feast and he cried there in Jerusalem, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And the church police, the temple officers, hear that among other things that Jesus was teaching, that they weren't going to put their hands on him. They're not going to arrest this guy. This guy speaks life into our hearts. We're not going to arrest him. So having failed at that attempt, they try again in John chapter 8. And that's where we have come this morning. Another attempt to kill Jesus, but in a very different way way than they had done so in John chapter 7. They'll give up, at least for now, at their attempt to use the temple officers to get Jesus. Instead, they come up with a plot to trick him into doing or saying something in order to build their argument that this this man's got to be arrested and put to death. So let's read again, verse 2. 
Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. So before we get into the plot, the trick, just wow, I just really, that, that verse just really touches me. That's where God wants to bring you brothers and sisters. We're just early in the morning. You're just receiving from him. You're sitting down and you're, ga- you're being taught by Jesus. That's his heart for you. Do you, do you understand that? Do you understand? That's Jesus' heart for you. To be with you the best part of the day and be pouring into you. That's his heart for you. Verse 3 says, Then the scribes and Pharisees, those were religious leaders at the time, brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This, they said, verse 6, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. This is a, their second attempt to try to, to kill him. So what's the trap here? What's the test? Well, if Jesus says, no, you should not stone her, He is publicly declaring that the law of Moses should be disregarded. Because it's true. In the law of Moses, in the Old Testament, the penalty for adultery was stoning. In fact, that's Leviticus chapter 20. We just, we just taught on that a couple weeks ago. That teaching's online. The penalty for adultery, stoning, among other things, by the way. But if Jesus says, no, you don't stone her, he would be saying in the hearing of all that the law, Moses' law, could just be disregarded, ignored. And, And so... You could be killed at that time for saying that if you were a rabbi. Jesus was a teacher, a rabbi. He's already considered that. You could be killed for saying those kind of things. So it's a trap. So he appears to have one other option, right? The other option is what? You're right. That's what the law says. Stone her. 
Hmm. The scribes and Pharisees know that if Jesus answers that way, the people will leave him. But that's never an excuse not to publicly state what God wants you to state. In fact, we already saw in John chapter 6, Jesus was really intense about the truth. What did people do? They let them. Jesus is willing to have everyone leave him at this point for the truth. But they, but the, the scribes, the Pharisees, they, they, they've got, they, they think they have him in a trap here. You can't trap God. You, know? you try to trick God. You try to fight God. It's like you know, fighting against the side of a cliff, in boxing a cliff. You're never going to win, ever. They're not going to win this. They think they have him trapped. But, I, but as I was preparing for this message, I, I really, so, you know, the law does say what it says, the Old Testament law. You know, why, I really sought God on this. Like, why is it? What really is the answer? I mean, Jesus has voluntarily, um, he, he, he is obeying the law, he's honoring the law, he's put himself under the law, he's, when I say voluntarily, he's come into the earth to it, voluntarily, it was his own choice, he didn't have to do it, he's, he, he obeys the law, he lives a perfect life for us, how did he get away with this? How did he get away with not saying, yeah, the law says that, stoner? Now, I've taught on this before, eight or nine years ago. And I was, I, 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 this is what I do sometimes. I read through uh, something that I taught eight or nine years ago, and I just shake my head and I go, oh, I, I, uh, no, 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 I don't like that. I don't like that at all. And, and, and the standard answer here of why Jesus didn't say, just stoner, that's what the law says, is, is well, technically, the, the, the Romans at the time, the Romans who controlled the area, they were the governors of the area. Only Romans are allowed to put someone to death. And so if Jesus said to Stoner, he would have, it had been an insurrection against the Romans. I'm like, ugh, that sounds like way too deep in a Bible commentary. I, I don't like that. And I don't, even, I don't think they had anything to do with it. That's why, by the way, when I'm teaching up here, you need to go to the Bible and, and figure out on your own whether what I'm saying is really from God. I, I've just been walking up here with the Lord a little bit longer than most of you all. doesn't mean I have all the answers. But I sought the Lord. Now, why doesn't, why doesn't he just say, because he's, he's bound by the law. Why doesn't he say, yeah, the law says that, stone her. And I, I, I really feel like the answer that the Lord gave me, he gave me a couple answers on this. And the first thing was, he, there was no way he was going to be joined up in this evil plot against this woman. Let me explain a little bit more. 
It's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, 14 and 15. It says this. Do not be yoked together. That word yoked means joined. Do not be joined together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Later on in this chapter, Jesus is going to be calling these very people sons of the devil. I, you know, you can pray for me. This, these are not easy verses to teach on later on in John chapter 8 where he divides the whole world into children of God and children of the devil. Really, Jesus? You want me to teach that? It's there, and we're going to be in it in a couple weeks. Can you, can you leave this up here? It says, what harmony is there between Christ and Satan? Who is Satan? Satan, Jesus calls him later on in this chapter, the father of lies. It also calls him what? A murderer. And, and, and this is nothing in John chapter 8, but unbelievers, and by that it means people who have rejected God and, are now tw- and, and now twist his law and his word in any direction that they want in order to use God <laughs> rather than be used by God. That's what an unbeliever is. That's how an unbeliever is defined in the Bible. And here it is. You have these men dragging this woman who's caught in the very act of adultery before Jesus. Now, it begs the question, right? What's, what's the question that that begs? They, they, they drag a woman. What, what, what's the question that it begs? Where's the guy? Where's the man? Because both in Leviticus 20, which was just posted online, just taught there a couple uh, weeks ago, and in Deuteronomy it says both the woman and the man should be stoned. And, you know, sometimes I say this and it gets people nervous. Jesus is the greatest feminist of all time. <laughs> this is how, you want to know how women were, were, um, were, were, are treated without Jesus Christ and without the Spirit of God and the ministry of, of, uh, of the Spirit and the, and the influence of the Christian church? Look no further than John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. They're just used for the purposes that a bunch of arrogant, prideful men have for her. They don't care about her. They don't care about the law. They just care about trapping Jesus. And so why is it that Jesus doesn't just say, oh yeah, the law says to stone it, stone this woman, because he doesn't want to be linked. He doesn't want to be joined to darkness. Sean, can I have the, the, the previous? It says, do not be yoked, joined together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Now think about it. These men who are dragging these, this woman to Jesus, as terrible as this thought is, 
They are the pastors of the people on this temple court. They're the pastors. They're the, 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 the people who are the overseers, the shepherds of the people. You know, from time to time, uh, and I don't do it often enough, I, 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 I sit back and I thank God for the pastors that the Lord has brought into my life. I had four pastors before we started this church 15 years ago. Gary Crawford, Dave Stout, Robert Fountain, and Randy Cahill. And I am so thankful for these men who didn't use the word of God to control me. They, they, but, but rather, they just declared the word of God exactly like it was, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, in order for God to do his work through me. But these men who are dragging these women, they're, they're the pastors of the day. When In Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus looks over the multitude, it says that he, he had compassion on them. And, and that term in the, the Greek, it's a... It's a um, it's a physical term, meaning there was a physical reaction when he saw all the multitude, the people on the hills, and it says, because they were harassed and distressed, Matthew chapter 9. Why? Because they had shepherds and pastors beating over their heads the law of God, twisting it for their own gain. And Jesus is not going to be joined to that. What fellowship has light with darkness? None. So there's no way Jesus is going to be a part of that. But, but listen, uh, th- there's another reason too. There's a much, I, I believe, an even greater reason why, why Jesus didn't just say, yeah, stoner, that's what the law says. I, I'm bound here by the law. There's a much greater reason. And it's this. We've already read it in John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come into the world to make sure the punishment that was required by the law was properly executed on the people. That's not why he came. He came into the world to take the punishment of the law on himself. Now, a stoning was, is one of just the most really jaw-dropping, horrifying methods of death that you can imagine. And there's a movie out there that actually shows, shows a, a, a stoning. It's not real life, obviously, there's actor, but they try to, uh, they, they try to um, basically film what happens to a human being when they're stoned. The, 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 the movie's called The Stoning of Soraya. Look, it's not for the faint of heart, this movie. But if you want to know what you've been saved from, 
you go watch this movie. It's about a, a, a woman who was falsely accused in Iran of adultery, and she's stoned. And, 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 and let me tell you, it, it is one of the most horrifying things. One of the things that we miss as New Testament believers is some of those graphic things that Jesus saved us from. We've been talking about this in Leviticus as we go through the Leviticus. In Leviticus, the lambs that were offered, the lambs that were foreshadowing of Jesus, remember Jesus is the lamb of, the God, lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The lambs that were offered, the person offering the lamb would actually have their hand on the lamb and have to cut the lamb's throat. See the blood as a reminder of what their sin caused. What's going on here in John chapter 8 is an incredible picture, an incredible, beautiful, stunning picture of what would happen on the cross. Of what would happen on the cross. What happened on the cross? On the cross, Jesus, actually before he even was put on the cross, he was unrecognizable, not unlike someone who had been stoned. But what did he do? On the cross, Jesus placed himself between us and our accusers. And that's what happens in the rest of our story here in John chapter 8. Let's continue reading. Verse 6. Again, verse 4, said, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. It says, But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Now, speaking of Bible commentaries, commentaries filled up what Jesus was writing here. I, I, I personally agree with the, the commentator. One commentator says it's entirely likely he was writing nothing. Ever done that? Just scribbling, doodling, whatever. It's entirely possible. We don't know where the Bible's silent. We shouldn't do a whole lot of guessing. So he, he, he stoops down on the ground. He starts to write... Probably, it's fair to say, by doing that, he's, he's distancing himself from this darkness that has approached, that has come into his presence. Verse 7, so when they continued asking him, in other words, he's sitting there writing on the ground, come on, tell us, tell us, should we stone her, should we stone her, should we stone her? This is a dramatic scene. When they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then again, he stoops down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9, then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone. 
and the woman standing in the midst. In other words, it was just Jesus and this woman. And there would have been other onlookers who were not the people who dragged the woman to, to, uh, to them. But uh, verse, verse 10 says, When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Wow. (laughs) What happened on the cross? On the cross, Jesus placed himself between us and our accusers. And that's exactly what happens here. Now, who, who's our accusers? Well, well, let me tell you, we have a lot more accusers than this woman. The Bible says that it, every one of these 608 laws in the Old Testament accuses us. They're accusers. They're, they, they, they accuse us. And the Bible says that Jesus came to earth for the purpose of getting in between us and that which accuses us. Listen, you never want to go before God. And the Bible says that there was appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. You never want to go. I promise you, you do not want to go before the judgment seat of God with the entirety of the law of the Old Testament pointing at you without Jesus in front of you. You don't want to do that. The Bible says the penalty for that is death and hell. On the cross, he gets between us and everything and everyone who accuses us. By the way, we do have all the law pointing at us, accusing us. The Bible says that we do. But think about it. We also have lots of people in our lives. At least I do. Can you imagine if somehow... Every person who you have wronged could be gathered into one place to accuse you? That is one scary thought. But you know one spectacular thought? Jesus gets in between you and all them too and all those accusations as well. It's not that they're just. It's not that they're unfair. They're fair. What you've done, what I've done, we've wronged people. There's grace. There's forgiveness. There's a new life. And ultimately, (laughs) what Jesus does with accusations and accusers, he makes them walk away. It says there in verse 9, then those who heard it, heard what? Jesus' statement, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. 
being convicted by their conscience, they went out. They can't fight God. They left. It says from the oldest to the youngest, they left. This is what Jesus does. This is what he does. Now, why do that? Why did they do that? Well, I'm going to close with this verse. Actually, the Colossians 2.19. Colossians 2.19 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. See, what happened here? Why did these people leave? I just submit this to you, that if it was you or me saying, hey, anyone who's without sin, let them throw the first stone. Some probably would have picked up a stone and chucked it at the woman. If it was you or me. But they're in the presence of God here. They're in the presence of the living God. And, and again, the, the, the judgment seat. Sean, can we, can we keep this up? When you get before God, the living God, Christ, all the fullness of God dwells in him. You don't start stupid arguments like, oh, yeah, I, I, I don't have any sin. I, I, I can throw the first stone. The Bible says there's not one good. No, not one. And when people are in the presence of God, they either embrace him or they run away. Or they bolt. There's this beautiful picture. Love and bolt here. But not this woman. Have you ever thought when you're reading the story, why this woman didn't run away herself? Why she didn't like skimper away? All right, I, I, here's an opening. I'm going to take it and just get out of there. I mean, the shame that she was under. No. She was in the presence of the living God. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, Colossians 2.19. And it says that when Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are, your, where, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Uh, she said, no one, Lord. She knew she was guilty. And then he says, and Jesus said to her, rather, then it says, and Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let me tell you, unless, until there's an extraordinary experience of God's grace in your life, you're just going to keep on sinning. All those sin habits, all those addictions, all those bondages that you've had, you're just going to keep them up until you experience the grace of God. And that's what Jesus does. He says he knocks at the door of every man, every woman's heart and says, come, let me in. Revelation 3.20. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. He who opens the door, I will come in and I will, I'll have dinner with him. I'll have fellowship. Let me tell you, when that happens, when you understand, I'm guilty. And even so, the Son of God's knocking on your heart and, 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 and saying, can I, 
can I come into your heart? Who, me? But I'm guilty. He says, no, I want to come in. Okay, yes, come in. That person walks away from their sin. It's not a hard thing to sin against the law. I think everyone in here knows that. It's a much harder thing to sin against love. So with that, I'm going to uh, ask the worship team to come up. And if you've been asked to pray, please come up as well. And, and, and if there's anything that has stirred in your heart this morning... that just makes you want to talk with God. Come on up and pray. This is the family of God. Let's pray through this thing. Maybe you have never had an experience of the grace of God with Jesus coming in like you've read about this morning. If that's the case, come up. I'll be up here to pray with you. But let's, let's, let's close and, and worship the God of grace the God who saved us, the God who, who at the cross got between us and our accusers. And he made them all go away and left us with no one but him. What a glorious place to be in. Let me pray and then we'll worship. Father, I just thank you for this and, and just the, the wonderful picture of the cross in this, in this verse, in these verses, Lord, that, Lord, you were stoned so that we wouldn't have to be stoned. You were punished so that we wouldn't have to be punished. You were beaten so that we didn't have to be beaten. And, what you, and, and, and you died so that we wouldn't have to die. And, and then the story goes on, Lord. After you died, after three days, you were raised from the, from the dead. You ascended into heaven, and now you pour out this, this new life in us. And, and, and your word says that you came not only to give us life, but to the full. And you've given us this full life, Lord. I, I, I just, we praise you, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.